The following is the extended cut of our conversation with Dr. Amanda Jansen. Dr. Jansen is a professor in the School of Education at the University of Delaware. Her research interests include students' engagement in mathematics and teachers' learning through reflecting on their practice. Her most recent book is Rough Draft Math, Revising to Learn. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. So welcome, um, Mandy. You uh, you suggested this theme. Why? Well, I love that you and John are reflecting on Ted Lasso and what inspires us as teachers. And you know, the first thing I thought of, right, is the classic scene with the darts and be curious, not judgmental, is like one of my main takeaways from that show. And I know it's something a lot of people think about. But it also just really resonates with me and how I try to orient myself as a teacher and a researcher. So I thought it was a topic that had a lot of, I don't know, resonance for a lot of us. Nice. Have you watched a lot of the show? I have watched both seasons. I need to do a rewatch. I don't rewatch too many shows, but I would like to rewatch Ted Lasso because they're coming out with the third season, right? So Yeah, yeah. I've heard November now. I, I have my fingers crossed. Yeah, Captain. and it was exciting to, you know, see the different award seasons and all the awards like Brett Goldstein's getting and Jason Sudeikis and, yeah, lots of nominations too, so. Kathy and I have now watched it four times. I, I count some of it as research <gasps> for this, and we are amazed by the number of times we still find ourselves laughing out loud, weeping uncontrollably. I mean, the emotions, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, the emotions are still there. It, I, I feel like it's still just, and we're still just amazed at how much they they pack into uh, a few, uh, uh, you know, thirty minutes or so. Every character has such depth, I think, and they're all on different journeys, and that's really well written, I think. So, with the idea of be curious, not judgmental, we wanted to start out with a curious question. So, in season two, we find out that Sam's favorite uh, movie is Ratatouille, which confession I had never watched before. And so, I anyone can that... cook. <laughs> exactly, I love that. So, right right away, I'm like, this, rat this in the hat. Fits well, right? Anyone can cook. Anyone can read. Anyone can write. And particularly, anyone can math. Exactly. Yes. And you're my setting. We, you know, being able to to have that mindset that anyone can man. So what uh, what's your favorite movie and why? I really like this movie called Stranger Than Fiction. It's a 2006 movie. Will Ferrell is the main character in it. And he plays an IRS auditor and he realizes he's hearing narration in his head. And he realizes that he's the main character in a book that's being written right now. Oh, wow. And so he spends the film trying to find out if his life is supposed to be a comedy or a tragedy. And that's what we're all trying to figure out about our own lives at some level. And and there's an actual author played by Emma Thompson who's writing this story about Harold Crick, who's Will Ferrell. And she doesn't know that he's actually alive. And she faces writer's block. And so you and Harold Crick is very interested in math and in numbers. So I feel like you get the writer side of me with the Emma Thompson character, you get the mathy side with the Will Ferrell character, and it's a very existential, it's a very creative story. 
And yeah, I like it. It sounds like, well, and it fits with uh, your idea of writing too, right? That's kind of great. I love uh, The Princess Bride mostly because it's so quotable. And that whole cast reminds me a little bit of the um, the cast of Ted Lasso and that how connected they are. What a great time mm. it sounds like they had. Kathy and I listened to, as a book on tape, oh, Carrie Elwes. Mm. Wesley. Wesley, yeah. So, so, yeah. He, so he wrote a book about As You Wish, and so mm. it was about the making of it. And it just sounded like they really, really had a, a, a strong connection, strong relationship. And I think that those are some of the things that as John and I have reflected on the series, and this will probably be a theme at some point, this idea of relationships. It's not just the relationships of the characters. It feels like the relationship of the actors and, and the writers. The writers, and, yeah. That, that it's a, I mean, you see them on Twitter all the time together, going to games, going to um, uh, concerts and things like that. So, Yeah. Um, so, so you wrote, um, the book rough draft math. Um, so how do you think, uh, this idea of being curious relates to your work with rough draft math? So yep, my my copy that, is right here. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yep. So the way I think about, um, as teachers and as researchers and orienting to people's thinking, I think that we can learn from people's ideas at any stage and that everybody's ideas have something that we can learn from in general, right? So early in my career, I was doing research on students' experiences in math classrooms to try to understand motivation from the kids' perspectives, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us at one point as teachers, we think about kids being motivated or not. And it's usually more like, are we doing, are they doing what we want them to do? <laughs> but people are motivated to do all kinds of things. And so I was trying to understand motivation from a kid's perspective, like sometimes when kids aren't doing the things we hope we would do, it's, it's to be motivated to be self-protective, right? We want to, um, we're, we're afraid that we're wrong and we don't want to show people. So that's a motivation. You're protecting your, your sense of competence maybe. And so I wanted to really, I want to really create a space where people can feel safe to share where they're not sure, but also, so we're just oriented toward each other. Like, whatever is on your mind, I believe I can learn from it. And so I feel like the curiosity is related to rough drafts because I'm curious about what you think, no matter what, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about how, when we interact with each other, we can understand something differently than if we hadn't interacted before. So as teachers, just constantly eliciting what people understand for the idea of we're trying to build new knowledge as a community. And I think that when people feel like they're truly trying to be understood, like we're trying to understand each other, you feel like everybody's trying to learn and grow toward a larger understanding. And it's less about who's right and who's wrong, because we're all trying to create new ideas, like a new strategy or a new representation or a different way to explain why something is true. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I come down to it like we want to be understood more than we want to be changed a lot of the time. And teachers have things to learn from their students. So I think rough drafting really creates that space where students are invited to express. And then our role changes as trying to listen and learn from each other. I teachers. love that. Um, you and I have had conversations on Twitter about um, some of the 
research around literacy instruction. And what you're saying reminds me of Brian Camborn's work, where he looked at um, the conditions of learning, particularly in reading and writing. And he talked about it in terms of engagement is key, motivation is key. And he distills that down into three parts, um, purpose, potential, that people feel like they can do it, and then protected, that they feel safe. Mm. And in your description of rough draft, for, for me, it feels like it hits all three of those, right? That we want to feel safe to be able to share our thinking, right? That our thinking has some value, that we we have the potential to be able to do that. But then I love the idea that purpose isn't necessarily some purpose other than being understood. It might be, as you said, contributing a strategy or a representation or a way of thinking, it might just be being understood. And I, lo- I love that thinking. That's a nice yeah, way. Yeah. And, and just the idea of if you and I hadn't had this conversation, an understanding that we would build in community wouldn't have existed. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need each other to understand more than we would have understood on our own or without the opportunity to interact with each other. So it's like, look for the gems, look for the insights, look for the brilliance in what somebody has to offer because even your brainstormed idea is going to have something interesting to build on. And, and math classrooms would feel differently if people oriented themselves to each other that way. But I think that you said purpose, you said potential. And what was the other one? Protected, feeling safe. Protected. Yes. So assuming brilliance in each other is a form of helping people feel protected and, and how we can help people look for the gems in each other's thinking that would create some protection for sure. Yeah. Another one of the pieces from Camborn that I really like is he talks about how we talk our way to understanding. And I feel like that's a, a exactly kind of fits what we, that rough draft talk or that building of community, we, we need to have people to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. I mean, just trying to represent our thinking in any way, whether it's like trying to draw a picture to show the relationships that we're seeing or or to put our thinking in words that make sense to us, just that activity helps our understanding advance. So we need that space of drafting and revising to help our ideas grow. But then people are going to notice something, oh, that relates to something else I'm thinking. As you really try to understand somebody, you might have a way to build upon it. So as a community, we can keep growing together and revising too. Yeah. And so when we're thinking about working with teachers, one of the the keys that we're trying to help them as we're encouraging, encouraging them to be curious is thinking about assessments, right? What sorts of assessments are you, you doing in your classrooms? Um, and assessing itself, right? That assessing itself is, uh, is a mindset, not simply just something that you do, that you're, you're always curious, you're always looking for, for that understanding. What are some, some ways that you think about when, um, when teachers are effectively being curious in their classrooms? I, I've really been drawn to how you can focus more on assessments that connect to learning over performance. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of different ways that people do this from standards-based grading to um, student self-assessment and ungrading. And I've really been drawn to more of student self-assessment, but I've been so curious, how does this work in a math class? And there's a teacher that I've learned a lot from in Delaware, and her name is Denise 
McCunney and she teaches seventh grade and she's been, um, she said, Oh, I have to have one grade and a grade book a week, but um, we're going to do this with self-assessment. She has students, uh, she gives them the learning targets and she gives them criteria for how they would grade themselves and they grade themselves. And then they take an assessment to see, you know, to check their understanding. And she gives them qualitative feedback on that assessment and then they revise that assessment and then they revisit their self-assessment. And it's by, again, like topics, standards, and then they can give evidence from their work about how their thinking has grown and changed. And so she conferences with them and talks with them and she's giving them a lot of written feedback, but the students are making claims about their own understanding. And, you know, for a seventh grade teacher to do this with so many kids is a lot of work with all of that feedback, but it's pretty impressive when the orientation is changing to what do I understand? And when she's focusing on qualitative feedback to the students rather than points, she can focus on the nature of their understanding. And it's, it really does shift, I think, the perspective toward what grade do I have versus what do I understand? You mentioned on grading, and I know you do some of that in your own class. So what, how does that look in your class? Yeah. So I thought, okay, if Denise is doing this with seventh grade, I need to think about this with college students. So one of the classes I teach and you teach a class similar to this, right? It's a pedagogical methods class for future teachers. And I, I learned from um, other colleagues in the association of math teacher educators, there was a workshop one year about this kind of work. And we set big ideas for the class. Here are the aspects I want you to wrestle with. Like what is um, what does it mean to pose purposeful questions to your students? Or how do we think about engaging students in tasks that elicit reasoning or a range of different ideas? And we set forth some ideas and then everything you do during the semester is an artifact of your thinking, mm. whether it's you know a reflection on a reading or a field placement assignment where you're understanding students thinking, you're getting different artifacts of your thinking all semester and you're tracking it. And then it midterm at the end of the semester they write a progress letter they choose a couple of the big ideas and they articulate a claim here's what i used to think and here's what i think now and then they describe how their thinking changed and then they bring in evidence from the class to show the tracking of their thinking over time and they interpret that evidence to say here's how i know that my thinking has grown and changed and here's evidence of that and then um, they do that for a couple of the different ideas. Then we conference and talk about it. And then there's a rubric with grading, like um, how much of your ideas grown and what level of mastery are you at? Like if you can teach other people about it versus you could just restate it, that's a different level of understanding. And if you have lots of different evidence for your growth versus not as much evidence. And then we conference. I'm about to have conferences next week for midterms. Mm -hmm. And they share um, how they would grade themselves. And it's changed a lot for me to do that because it used to be conversations with the students about whether they can get a point back, right, on the rubric. And now it's more like how they're making sense out of teaching and how they're thinking about the ideas. And it turns into a dialogue and it's less transactional about grades. Mm -hmm. And that's been much more enjoyable. We're more in a partnership of trying to understand each other and not in about a negotiation of half a point. Yeah, I found that 
the whole idea be curious, not judgmental also has a different perspective for me as I'm dealing with people, right? Because because when I used to do, like you were saying, and getting into these conversations about, you know, do they deserve this point or not based on the rubric? I mean, I was really being judgmental, right? And it it was one of the, it was the worst part of the job. And it mm. was the, the thing that I, you know, I would put off until the very last minute, procrastinate. But having changed and and really being curious about, well, wait, how would you demonstrate your understanding of this? Or I love the way, I mean, you give me goosebumps as I think about what you've been doing because you've got your students curious about their own thinking, right? Here's well, where I was it. and here's where. 100%. And they're noticing things that I wouldn't have noticed. So we create, you know, context for learning, like different experiences, activities, um, texts that we would have them read. And we think, oh, they're probably going to get this and this out of that activity. Sometimes they get something completely not what I would have predicted. And it's amazing. So I actually get to learn from them. What do they notice? What are they learning? What are they picking up? And I'm not trying to fit them into my rubric box, right? Because there's a tight relationship between evaluating and then promoting compliance. My rubrics were often like, did you do the things I wanted you to do? And when I take the rubric out or I, it moves away from compliance, according to what I'm thinking you could get, and it opens everything up. They can learn things I wouldn't have predicted. And then I'm learning more. I didn't know that connection was possible. I didn't realize that you could learn this idea. And so they're curious about their own learning, but I'm deeply curious too. It's a surprise to me. Like I did not know you could make that connection. I learned as well. Mm -hmm. So it's been, I think, really enjoyable in that way for my own learning. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about this difference between, and it's that same idea of rubrics that sort and rubrics that support, right? And too often, again, yeah. that judgmental piece was always about sorting where you fit. Whereas um, if we can think about them as supporting to get, you know, to to grow, to to be able to share um, our thinking, because yeah, I'm like you, I'm, I'm much more interested nowadays about how somebody else is thinking, whether they, instead of whether or not they can regurgitate my thinking, right? So that's can, right. Yeah. yeah so. That way we're all going to learn more and and any structure. So that's one thing that happened. You mentioned assessment. Um, a few years ago, someone said something to me about, well, if you're doing rough drafts and revising, you need to make sure your assessment structure also communicates that value. So what does that imply? Um, maybe it implies letting people revise, but maybe there's some larger structure that really promotes growth. How do our assessments allow the students to demonstrate growth over time? And how do the assessments allow the students to celebrate what they're most excited about learning? Right. Give them give them permission. And again, I, I love this idea that they they have this opportunity to be curious about their own thinking. Yeah. So I think that I would just like to give credit to Frances Harper at the University of Tennessee. She's someone I really modeled some of my ungrading work after. And lots of folks have been doing interesting work like this. I feel like I'm a follower and not a pioneer, but I love that people have shared with me the great work they've done in these yeah. areas. Well, that's part of our community, right? That, that right. We, we are all smarter than any one of us. Mm -hmm. 
So what are, I mean, we're talking about, you and I obviously are talking about college students. Um, what have you seen as, or what have you heard from teachers as being some of the the barriers um, to being curious about students thinking, whether it's through the rough draft math or uh, other formative or even summative assessments or use use of rubrics? What are some of the barriers that you're hearing from teachers? And then kind of in preparation foreshadowing, how do we over help them to overcome those barriers? Yeah, so I'm sure you've heard a lot of the same things that I've heard and felt in our own work, right? People say, oh, who has time? I've got this pacing guide and I've got to get through it. And I've thought about that a lot because I have some of the same pressures. I want to support teachers to learn certain amount of content, but how do we do that? But one thing I've thought about with that a lot is you take the time now or you take the time later, <laughs> So if we don't give students a chance to be curious about math and teachers letting like really wrestling with students thinking and having students revise and things, they often have to reteach it later. So spending time really wrestling with people's thinking, you're going deeper. And so I'm thinking maybe you're doing less reteaching later. So that's one of the things I've thought about. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, one of the things, again, you're you're in a similar situation um, and I'm teaching a, a, a course. It's a content course, but also um, a methods course. So we're looking at all of the the geometry standards from kindergarten through sixth grade. This is way too much content. A lot. Too much yeah, for one to, semester. Yeah. Yeah. To cover in one uh, one semester. And so what I often do is I ask my students to look over the standards and identify the ones that they feel like they want to work on to, to feel supported, right? So it's-, it's Oh, that's great. So they have a voice in what you're going to spend more time covering. Exactly, right? And exploring, I, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so so we we open it up to them because like, so I think this is the other part. If there's not enough time, I need to assess. I need to be curious about where my students are. So I'm not wasting time covering things that either are outside their zone of proximal development or are in their pro zone of actual development, right? Though that's a waste of time for me. So it feels like it's necessary to be curious so that I can better attend to where we want to put our our time, our valuable time and effort. And so I'm with you. I, I, I think that it's worthwhile simply to, to help us to be more efficient and effective in the teaching that we do. And I think that students will see you modeling that curiosity, right? And it becomes a bit infectious. They can tell you're trying to understand them and hopefully they try to understand each other, but also be curious about math. And that's one thing I think about is what can we do to help um, people be truly curious about math? And I see that happening in schools a lot when they're doing things like, you know, like a three reads launch where you take the question off of the problem and they just read the situation like a story problem. And what's what's happening in this situation and what are the kinds of quantities? But what questions can we ask and answer now about this situation? And the students will usually come up with the question in the story problem, but then more questions too, other questions they could ask and answer. And then they end up exploring more about the math than they would have 
but then they're authoring the question. They're curious about the mathematics themselves. And so things that we can do to, to help um, students be curious about math is something else I think about. And I think this notion of having the students author and create the mathematical question, I think goes a long way in generating um, more connection with the math mm. and really understanding the math structures because they had to think about what question they could answer themselves or explore. Yeah, it reminds me, uh, Ewan McIntosh from uh, Scotland has a really interesting TED talk about this idea of we need more problem finders, not just problem solvers. Yes. And, uh, yeah. What yeah, you're whose questions are we exploring in math class, right? How often are they the students' questions? Right. And yeah, so when and you ask your future teachers, you know, what ideas in geometry do you want to explore? That's the step toward them asking the questions themselves about geometry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and giving them some agency, hopefully, in terms of what, what I, sh I share with them. I have a, a board that um, here I'll show you. So this is my planning oh. board. Right. And yeah. so it's all color coded. Posted, so it's removable. Yeah. Yeah. And I can move things around, but I make a point to show them, look at, I don't have the entire semester planned out because it's going to depend on what you feel like we need to spend more time on. Right. I have some ideas yeah. at the beginning and I can start filling in, but, you know, starting with next, the, the week after next, I don't know exactly what we're going to do. We need to wait until, um, we get together and figure out for ourselves what, what we should do with that time. So I mean, you could easily have filled it yourself, but why not be responsive to the students? And so that's an area where you're curious about how they're thinking right. and where it's going. And that way you can respond to what they're wondering about or what seems to build on their current thinking. I love that. Yeah. And from a time standpoint, it gets it goes going back to your issue. It's more effective for me because I'm not I used to spend hours upon hours, right, having the entire semester figured out. Um, and then I would either stick to it and miss targets completely from where my students were or. Um, I'd have to redo it anyways because my students were in different places or needed different supports. Um, and yeah, so I think the other thing, and this might go along with with the timing piece uh, that I hear when we talk about changing the way that we we assess is just the number of students that, especially some of our uh, middle school and high school colleagues have to deal with, you know, and how do you, how do you be curious about 150, 200 students? Yeah, I, that's real, right? I mean, I taught middle school, I get it. And I think that fortunately, you're with them for a long period of time, at least a semester in some cases, unless they're moving. And I like to say, well, if you gradually get to know different students in different ways, then the whole class would benefit. So if you target your instruction to different individual students' needs that you've gotten to know really well, it's probably going to help more people in that room. And as the year goes on, you can get to know more and more people, but it's a lot. Well, and sometimes it's breaking it up into some small, some smaller um, pieces, right? So I used to, when I was teaching middle school, make sure that I interviewed every student in every unit. Um, it was only for one question, and it was something that usually took maybe 
five minutes to do and I had to have something for the rest of the class to be working on. But over the course of a semester or a unit, I could I could talk to all of those students. So uh, I tried to make sure again, it's the, the key is to find for me, find those little steps Find those openings. I use um, the name tags that Sarah Vanderwerf talks about hmm. where students will write something to you every day and you write back. And I've been doing them way more than just the first few days of the semester. And now I know that this weekend, one of my students has an acapella concert and I'm excited to go to that. And another student is telling me about how the University of Delaware marching band has changed their show, should come to the next show. And um, one of my students in soccer. So you just are also able to build relationships that way when you're curious about their mathematical thinking, but also curious about who they are as people. And then the classroom community is better because everyone is getting to know each other in different ways. But yeah, I think getting students to write to you is another way in addition to interviewing. And then you have things to talk about as they're coming into class, right? Because you had just read their name tag about things that are happening in their lives. And it's nice. Yeah. Well, it gets back to what we've talked about in terms of the relationships is certainly one of those themes at some point that we're going to need to uh, explore a little bit more because it's it's certainly central to the story. But I think it's also central to, to good education. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've given us lots to think about, Mandy. Are there other resources that we should be on the lookout for? Um, things that as as you're thinking about that might help K-12 teachers to um, be curious? Well, when I think about in the research space, my mentor, Jack Smith, who just retired from Michigan State, has this really beautiful article called Misconceptions Reconceived, how we should look at people's thinking, not in terms of misconceptions, but everybody has conceptions. And what if we were oriented towards not trying to distinguish misconceptions, but just see the conceptions and everyone's thinking. So that article is in the Journal of the Learning Sciences, but I think the, you know, the idea itself has a lot that you can build off of and wrestle with too. Switching from conceptions or misconceptions just to conceptions. And then looking at different ways of launching a task where the students get to pose the questions like in three act math tasks, students pose the question about what's happening or the three reads launch, something like that. I think for teaching, doing things where students author the question and be curious. Those are things I think about. Nice. Yeah. That first one reminds me an article that I wrote with my colleague, Pam Wells. Are they wrong or did they answer a different question? And the... I used that the other day in class and the oh. students made them feel so much better because oh. yeah, they're like, yeah, that's right. I was thinking about a different question. And right. it correct answer but to a different question right and what we found is that if we could help students to identify the question right then they can often apply that to a new you know to the actual question whether that is really important or not so well good and there's strong mathematics there and it gets also in that space of protection because it allows um, us to validate the beauty in the thinking that they had and then build on it toward a different question yeah, that's nice. Well, Mandy, we appreciate um, you and the time that you've taken to to be here with us and be part of the the Ted Lasso community, especially um, uh, suggesting this uh, this topic. It's been been fun to uh, sort of create this uh, this space together today with you. It's always good to see you, Dave. Thanks. Yeah.